Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 88, and our guest is Craig Button, no stranger to the show. And I know it's, it's an overused phrase, but truly a friend of the program. He is the scouting director for TSN, former NHL general manager, director of scouting. Uh, he is the man that we always go to. Uh, whenever we have questions about prospects and the World Junior uh, Championship, which is going to be uh, from uh, December 26th through July 5th in Vancouver and Victoria. Uh, Team Canada looking to defend their gold medal from last year. Team USA was a bronze medalist. But before we begin, of course, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. And we want you to know, Red Wing fans, it's time for Hockey with Labatt Blue, the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Cheers to 313 Hockey from the first puck drop to the final horn. Cheers to everybody in Detroit from Woodward Avenue all the way up to the nosebleeds. It's all red and white here. Remember, get your limited edition of Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light Detroit Red Wings cans. Get them while they're cold. They're great stocking stuffers. And remember, there's limited supply, so you better do it quickly, especially this time of the year. And always enjoy Labatt Blue responsibly. And with that, let's bring in our guest, Craig Button. Craig, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure to have you on. It's always my pleasure to join you, Art. We uh, we talk a lot of things hockey, and we even get over to some other topics, including one of our great passions, Wolverines football. Yes, and you know, uh, since yesterday we're doing this on Thursday, uh, National Signing Day. It looks like the Red Wings, uh, or pardon me, the uh, the Wolverines did quite a haul in that. Uh, but let's go to the 2019 World Junior Championships, uh, December 26th through uh, January 5th in Vancouver and Victoria. Uh, Team Canada defending gold medalist. I, Craig, is it me, or I guess I'm disappointed when I looked at this schedule, and it seemed, and again, I could be wrong, but it seemed that either December 31st or December 30th, right around the new year, Team Canada and Team USA always played in this tournament, but Team Canada is in Group A along with the Czech Republic, Russia, Switzerland, and Denmark. The United States is in Group B with Sweden, Finland, Slovakia, and Kazakhstan. Um... Do they? I, I, is this the first time they haven't played? I guess in the preliminary round, or is it because they're in different groups, or am I just dreaming of something that usually doesn't happen? Well, you know, last year they weren't supposed to be in the same group in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and because of the outdoor game and the request of USA Hockey and the organizers in Buffalo, and, and, and the IIHF is, is very understanding of this in terms of switching a team from one uh, pool uh, to the other pool. And and with that, let me explain how the pools work on a year-to-year basis. What happens is you, uh, it's all based on on the finish of the previous year. So what ends up happening is that the first place team, the gold medalist, the fourth place team, the fifth place team, uh, uh, the eighth place team and the ninth place team mm-hmm. all end up in a, in, in, a, in a distinct pool the next year, and then the the second, third, uh, uh, the second, third, sixth, seventh, and tenth place teams end up in another pool. So it's it's totally predicated on finish of the previous year how the pools are formed. Now for Canada and the USA being in the same pool, it, it's worked out that way because of how they finished the previous year. Right. But last year. They made a change, so they were able to play the outdoor game in uh, in Buffalo because of that reason. But you know, again, they, they, that wasn't the, the case last year with the finish. So now they end up in, in, in different pools. You know, I think as you're 
and, and you, you know, the, the prominence of the World Junior Tournament, not just in North America, but worldwide, has become pretty significant, Art. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got you got a lot of countries now that are excited about potentially playing the USA on New Year's Eve, and in this year's case, it'll be Finland. You know, Russia's going to play Canada. But, but, but I've seen when Sweden has played Russia or Sweden has played the USA or Sweden has played Canada on a New Year's Eve, they, they draw big attention. So I, I think it speaks about the tournament as a whole, about the interest around the world for these matchups and, and how competitive they are. You know, does everybody look forward to a Canada-USA New Year's Eve? We, we've been spoiled by it. But... You know, this is a this is a tournament format that where, where the placing in, in the pools are, are are done on the previous year's finish. So there's really nothing you can do about it except just go by the formula. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I mean, I I, agree, I, I, I guess I understand it. It's just that you know, it, it just seemed like every year they were playing them on New Year's Eve, and it was always such a you know, a competitive, and it wasn't a nasty game, but it was an intense game, and uh, both teams really going at it, and certainly, uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm Captain Obvious here, but, you know, the main rival, obviously, for Team USA is Team Canada, and I would assume vice versa, although they have great rivalries with other countries, too, but uh, there's just something special when you see, uh, you know, the red, white, and blue, and the maple leaf going at it, and, uh, uh, well, hopefully it'll happen, and I guess that's maybe my next question. Do you eventually see them playing each other this year? Well, it's really interesting. So, let's get to the, let's get to where I, I, I think the pools will finish up. I, I think Finland's in really tough. Uh, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi and Miro Heiskanen, both players that are available for Finland are not going to be available. That becomes really tough uh, to, to compete at the highest levels when you're missing, arguably, your best forward and, and your best defense. And, you know, other countries have to deal with it. You know, uh, Canada's dealing with not having Michael Rasmussen, who's with the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, USA is dealing with not having Brady Kachuk, who would be the captain of Team USA, because he's, a, he's in Ottawa. So everybody's dealing with that. So just quickly, I see the USA as the best team in their pool. Uh, Sweden's really good. Uh, they're they're, they're well-coached. They have a really good, solid team. I don't think they have a lot of offensive firepower. They're going to be in games. They're going to be tight in games. They're going to have to find a way to not make mistakes because they're not going to be able to overcome uh, a lot of mistakes. The margin for error is very thin. So in that pool, uh, and, and Slovakia will be interesting. Slovakia comes to the World Junior Tournament. they got experience. They're, they're heavy. They play a certain way. Uh, the coach, Bakros, has a lot of experience. So, you know, third, fourth place, I think it's between Finland and Slovakia, and, and I'm not giving it to Finland just because they're a little bit shorthanded. USA, Sweden, one, two in that pool. On the other side, uh, you know, Canada, I think, that, I think that the New Year's Eve game very well could be a preview of the uh, gold medal game, Canada and Russia. Ooh. Don't sleep on the checks. Don't sleep on the checks. They have Martin Ashash. They have Philip Zadina, another Red Wings draft pick. And there might have been some horse trading going on with Hockey Canada. Hey, Kenny, you know what? You know what? If you don't give us Rasmussen, can you keep Zadina away from the checks? Well, you know, Kenny can't do that. Kenny Holland can't. So, um, and I say that, you know, totally tongue-in-cheek and right, kidding. Right. But don't sleep on the checks. The checks are a good team. They're getting their star power, and, and, and that becomes pretty significant as you're trying to compete. But, but the Swiss aren't going 
going to compete with those top three teams, and certainly Denmark isn't either. So one, two, three on that side, which sets it up, I think, for the semifinals. My own, my, my, my feeling is, Art, mm-hmm. is that the semifinal is going to be USA, Canada, and Russia for sure, and then it'll come down to Sweden and the Czech Republic for the fourth spot. I talked about Sweden being a little bit short, Czech Republic, you know, having their star power. Uh, so, you know, depending on where the seedings are, you know, I think there's a very good possibility that in the semifinal or even in a gold medal match, Canada and the USA could very well be playing against one another. Well, that would be, you know, be kind of reminiscent, uh, if it's in Vancouver, of course, of the, uh, uh, of, yep. the uh, well, of the Olympics. Yep. When both teams sure, are at it, yeah. Uh, let's. Uh, when I look at Team Canada, and I've seen your reports, and I've read some of the, it, they have a. You know, I think the team is loaded. I mean, I really do like their back end with the with the defensemen that they have. You think that their strength is in net? Well, I think it's one of their strengths. You know, you know what's interesting, Art, mm-hmm. is I hear a lot of commentary about where the offense going to come from, Team Canada, and I. I, I start to think to myself, that's an odd observation because when I look at the scoring leaders in the Western Hockey League and the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec League, I, I, I see the names of all the players that are on Team Canada. Right. <laughs> so it, it defies logic that you're worried about offense. When like, if it's not them, then who? And you know, you can you can go right through it. You know, Cody Glass in the Western Hockey League, Brett Leeson, Morgan Frost and Sault Ste. Marie, Owen Tippett, Joe Valeno, Alexi Lafreniere, Nick Suzuki. You know, it, it, like the, the depth of talent and scoring prowess on this team is pretty significant. The big challenge at the World Junior Tournament, in my view, is how do you, you, you know, get your game in, 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 into order? And, and that means the power play, the penalty killing, defensive play, how you're coordinated, how you're able to be able to, to win the gold medal. You've got to play seven games in 10 days, and you've got to get continuously better over the tournament against very different styles of play. So you've got to be, not only you, you have to have the endurance, you have to have the, the ability to adapt to how a team might play you. And so when I look at how... Uh, Team USA, how Team Sweden, Team Canada, Team Russia, Team Finland, the Czech, they've all been working on this for, for, for a year, for over two years in some cases, because this age group has played together in different uh, events at the different levels. So that's the challenge here for the coaches. I think that in this year's tournament, and, and, I, and I say five or six countries, I moved the fans out of it this year. I don't think the fans are good enough to compete for the goal. But I certainly believe that the USA, Sweden, Canada, Russia, and the Czechs are capable of competing for the gold. And that's what we get in this tournament now. Five countries that are capable of winning the gold. When I look at uh, jumping quickly to Team USA, uh, I know you you said that you believe that they're the best team in the tournament. Uh, is that because they're led by brothers Hughes, or is this team loaded? I hear I constantly am hearing things about Spencer Knight uh, in goal for Team USA that this kid is a, a phenomena. But you know how it is, Craig. P- 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 kids are blowing up a lot. So uh, uh, your thoughts on Team USA? Well, and, and let me say I think they're the best team in the pool. Okay. You, you know, uh, like, and I think they're one of the, I, I definitely see them in the semifinal. 
and then it goes from there. So, right. again, it's, I, I don't see them as a clear-cut favorite. I don't see Russia or Canada as a clear-cut favorite. But I see those three teams as the trio of, uh, of favorites right now with Czech Republic and Sweden just a notch below them. That being said, I think Spencer Knight's an outstanding goaltender. I think that he's shown time and time again the, uh, the, the composure, the poise. You don't get to the level of Spencer Knight without having exceptional skill. He has that. But when you're being challenged and opponents are trying to find every weakness in your game and your vulnerability, and you're trying to not only read it but also adapt to it, I think Spencer has all of those capabilities. And, you know, watching them last year at the U18 tournament, they had USA lost in the gold medal game to Finland. They had five 17-year-olds on that team or 16-year-olds on that team. Spencer Knight in the net. It's no accident that he was on that team and he was called upon to be their go-to goalie. And I think going into the World Junior Tournament, we can look at the birth certificate, and I know it's a ninth-year-old tournament, or you know it's a ninth-year-old tournament, right. but there are exceptions to the rule. And I think that in this case, the exception to the rule applies to Spencer Knight. I, when I look at it and they go, oh, Spencer Knight, oh, he's young. I, I don't look at it that way. I go, oh, Spencer Knight, he's darn good. And he's shown all that capability of remaining settled and composed in the challenging moments. And I don't think it's any different for him. The interesting thing for me about Spencer is that I, I, when I watch him play, sometimes the way he plays, you don't know if he's playing in a gold medal game or it's just uh, a, a regular season game in the season. He, just, he, he, he has that same comportment in the net. Wow. And I think that's essential to being really consistent, and he is. Really, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, Quinn Hughes uh, – Playing in Vancouver, probably should get used to that because he was drafted 7th overall by the Canucks. Uh, and then his brother, Jack Hughes. Uh, uh, I, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I looked at your Craigslist for December, and uh, you, know, you have Jack, and I think virtually every service, uh, people that talk about it that are in the know, but actually you're the, the man on this. Uh, uh, Jack Hughes, the number one pick in the upcoming draft. No question in my mind. You know, I joke, Art, people ask me that all the time about Jack. Is anybody closing the gap? I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's closing the gap. What I do know is this. Good players aren't hiding somewhere under a rock. You know, where all of a sudden they're going to emerge and somebody's going to go, ha-ha, here's this next really good player. I've seen all the good players. I've seen them all. I've seen them for a lot. I have not seen one player that's better than Jack Hughes. I have not seen one player that I think will be better than Jack Hughes. So, for me, there's no question in my mind he's the number one guy going into the 2019 draft. He will remain the number one guy, and I don't see anybody that can unseat him. That's how I – he's that good. You know, we, we, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but people always look, you know, they're saying, well, give me a break. You know, he's only five foot ten. How can this guy be, uh, you know, a generational talent with Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, who are, who are big men, and Jack Eichel's no small guy either, but – then if, if you're saying that, then you don't really know how the game is being played today, right? Is, is that kind of, it? size is important, but it isn't the be-all that maybe the hockey fans thought it once was. Well, okay, so I totally agree with you. So that number one, let me just get into full agreement with you. That's number one. Okay. How about number two? Why don't we go back to a different era, okay? And why don't we go back to this era of the big thing? You know, in the 
93 NHL draft, there was a gentleman drafted fourth overall by the name of Steve Eiserman. And I would like you to go look up his height and weight in 1983, okay? And, and then when you're finished looking up his height and weight, you know, I heard a lot of commentary about Steve Eiserman from people, Jimmy Davilano and people that were involved in it. Oh, the little centerman. The little centerman from Peterborough. The little centerman from Peterborough. Oh, the little centerman from Peterborough. Okay, now when you're finished doing that, go and look at the, uh, the, the all-time NHL scoring leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll ask you this. Right. Okay, if, and I say it all the time. If you want to go and scout with a tape measure and a scale, go right ahead. You're missing the obvious. And the obvious is, just like Steve Eisenman was a brilliant player, Pat LaFontaine went third overall, a Detroit native, and Jack Hughes is an exceptional player. So I don't care how big he is. I don't, he's 17 years old. Right. He's going to grow. He's going to become stronger and more physically mature. And at the end of the day, he does things that other players can't do and never will do. And I'm not just talking about in this draft class. I'm talking in the NHL. And that's what makes him exceptional. So, to me, bottom line is, you, you, you know what, like, and, and people say, oh, he's got to get stronger. Really? No kidding. He's got to get stronger. What 17-year-old player drafted doesn't have to get stronger? And whether you're 6'4", 200 pounds, or you're 5'10", 168 pounds, you have to get stronger. That's just a part of the process. But when I watch Jack Hughes play, the mind, the hand, the feet, the competitive spirit, everything that goes with it, he's exceptional. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because Michael Rasmussen, who's obviously on the Red Wings and isn't going anywhere, is 6'6", 220 pounds. And what has the Red Wings, what have they harped on him when they sat him a couple of games this season? To work out and get stronger. And, you know, you look at him and you know, he's a big man, but yet we have a tendency, as you just said, Jack Hughes is 17 years old. I mean, we all look good at 17, I guess, but we all could put on some weight. We haven't filled out yet. I mean, when Rasmussen fills out and gets to be about, what, 235, 240 of pure muscle, he's going to be, you know, just, he's not that he's not a force now, but he's really going to be a force. I, I think that, and every time, Craig, that you've been on this show, we always talk about how it seems that there's just so much impatience with these players. Everybody wants them to step on the ice and immediately be, you know, a reincarnation of Wayne Gretzky or Gordy Howe or some Bobby Orr or somebody. Well, I mean, you're talking about three of the greatest players that ever laced them up. And right, so, exactly. You know, it's going to be... But l l let me say this about it, too. Like, you know, so we talk about, like, you know, this... In that's our society now, too, uh, Art. Yeah. Everybody's impatient. And you, you know, and, and I call it, you may have heard, heard me say this previously, I call them the three natural laws of maturity, and you can't speed them up. And they are physical, mental, and emotional. And 17-year-old kids, you can try to speed it up. You can hope that it's sped up. Everybody's going to go at the natural rate of maturity. That's a fact. That's a scientific fact. Okay? So there are things that you can do to enhance it and to try to help a player handle a certain area of his development at a certain stage. Yes, but you cannot speed those up beyond what the normal process is. Right. So whether it's Steve Eisman or whether it's Michael Rasmussen or whether it's Philip Zadina, how about this, Art? And I'm going to bring up another example because I have to answer a lot of questions about it. 
Okay. And, and, and it's relevant to, to this podcast. Okay. Carl, what do you think of Dennis Chalowski? I was going to ask you about him late. I mean, I I, I think oh, everyone's stunned that he is in the National Hockey League. I mean, they're pleasantly surprised and they're very happy for him. He's a great young man, but I don't think anybody at the start of Red Wing training camp this year saw that coming. Okay, so that's fair enough. That's fair enough, okay? So, so I will allow for that. But he got drafted, right? Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot of people tell me, oh, Jasilowski, and then, oh, why would the Red Wings draft him? You heard it too, Art. Oh, you yeah. and I talked about it. And, and we heard a lot about it. Oh, geez, oh, the Red Wings, oh, well, that, that wasn't a very good pick. Oh, really? Okay. So now, so he goes to St. Cloud. After a year he leaves, he goes to the Western Hockey League. And now you have this player. Okay, I know this about Dennis, because I've watched him play for, for a long period of time. He could skate. He could think. He could handle the puck. He could make plays with the puck, and he was competitive. What what Dennis needed to do was go through that process of maturing. And maturing, when I talk about physical, mental, emotional, it's not just about the physical part. The mental part of it is understanding how to play. What are your strengths? Understanding, you know, this is what I have to do on a day-in, day-out basis. The emotional is not going through the ups and downs of good play, bad play, and staying even keel. Those are all necessary elements. So now Dennis has moved along here, and I'll tell you who's the most surprised. It's the people that didn't know Dennis Chalowski because they thought they knew him. And, I'm, and, and I always use this a lot of times, and I use it, and I use it very, very firmly. People want to start talking about things that they don't know about. I say, hashtag, experts without expertise. Those are the people that doubted Dennis Chalowski because they were experts without expertise. And at the end of the day, the experts are Kenny Holland and Tyler Wright and Jeff Finley and that scouting group, Chris Draper. They're the ones that are out there evaluating and believing, and they know. And I think that when you look at Dennis Chalowski now for the Detroit Red Wings, I'd like to hear all those people that thought it was a bad pick. I haven't heard them come out and say, geez, we were wrong. No, no, you haven't. And, and, you know, and you, you and I both know that you're never really going to hear that. So, uh, but, uh, you... Yeah, no, I know. And, I, and, and, and so I say that because, and, and, and you know, that when they drafted Chalowski, you know, I, I thought that that was, you know, you're trying to draft defensemen, you're trying to get, get players that can skate and make plays, as I pointed out about Dennis. And that's exactly what they, they had. And he's developed. And now he's a, he's a really important figure, not only on the, on the blue line now, but going into the future. So, you know, back to Jack Hughes, back to the draft. Jack Hughes is an exceptional player. And Jack Hughes, wherever he has played, has been a standout player. Not just, oh, geez, he looked pretty good. He stood out as the best player. That's not going to be any different. He is the best player in this draft. I don't have any doubt about it. Well, you know, obviously we'll have you on later in the year where we'll really break down the draft. I want to go back to the World Junior and ask you about uh, four Red Wing prospects that are on their uh, respective national teams. And I'm going to start off with Denmark because uh, a guy who is on the Red Wings' radar, he's kind of a string bean. He's uh, he's very lanky. He's very tall. He's 6'7 and weighs uh, uh, 205 pounds. Uh, and that is Maltgi Setkoff. Um, I know, Craig, you know, he's playing over in, in Europe. Do you know much about him? Uh, he has been fairly impressive when he has been on the international stage, although it's been kind of limited. Well, it has been limited. But, okay, so first of all, we're talking about a guy that's really young and, and, and really, 
You know, he's got this big stature. So he's got to grow into his body, not just in terms of physical, but coordination. And that is physical, right? So when I talk about physical, I mentioned strength. But now there's the coordination that's got to come with it. You know, the leverage that comes to having to play and everything with it. You know, there's two things I look like I really want to see in a player, regardless of how big he is or how small he is or everywhere in between. How do you think the game? You know, what, what, what type of things can you do in, in, in terms of thinking the game and doing it? And then how do you move? Like, and, and, and movement is, is, is your skating, your fluidity, your footwork, every, and, and your hand movements and everything. And then you, you try to project, okay, as he becomes more coordinated, can his skating can improve? Can, can the fluidity of his movements improve? And, and you believe that with physical strength, that that'll take care of itself. And if I can satisfy myself that, that the thinking is there and that the movement, skating and, and, and how you play and with your hands and make plays, then I'm satisfied. Then you get to the development point. Mm-hmm. How much more can he develop vis-a-vis other players? To, to me, he, he's always had that. And you can look at limited experiences and limited times playing, but when you watch him and you go, okay, you can see that he's got his head up, he's making a play, he's thinking about making a play. He might not be quick enough to give himself the room, but if he becomes quicker, will he be able to make that play? And that's how I look at him, and, that, and that's how I look at all players. So, you know, he, he's going to be asked to do uh, a, a lot for a Danish team that doesn't have a lot of depth, but you're not just so, so you're going to look at the immediate tournament, and I would suggest that it will be hard for him to be a standout. But that doesn't rule him out from being uh, an NHL prospect. And when you look at all those things, look at Jonathan Erickson. Like, Jonathan Erickson's had a pretty good career. Jonathan Erickson was a big, lanky defenseman that needed time to mature and grow. Maybe this is the case here. Well, let's uh, let's move on, and it'll be interesting to, you know, I, again, fans, you have to watch the World Junior Tournament. Uh, uh, Craig heavily involved in it, and uh, it's on the, uh, for the U.S., it's the NHL network, but uh, it's usually the TSN feed, I think, that they that they pick up. Maybe intermissions are, are, are run by the... Uh, uh, the the NHL network, but anyway, uh, I, I want to move on to uh, Team Canada. Uh, first, uh, a kid that got hurt in Red Wing training camp, but was impressive, uh, fell down to them actually uh, uh, in the draft, and that is Jared McIsaac. He was hurt. He returned back to uh, Halifax. Former teammate of uh, Philip Zadina. Uh, he has. Uh, you know, in 23 games, 22 points, uh, seven goals, uh, 15 assists. He's a plus 12. Uh, here was a fella, when the Red Wings drafted him, they were extremely happy. And when you look at the blue line of Team Canada, uh, not that he shouldn't have made it, but he's in with some pretty uh, pretty high-end talent. If you look at Jared's uh, history, he played on he played in the Youth Olympics with his kids at a younger age. Every four years, they have the Youth Olympics. It's an IIHF event. He played on that team. They lost to the U.S. in the gold medal game. He played at the U-17. He played at the U-18 Halenka. He played at the U-18 Championships. And he's on a very good team in Halifax. And to me with Jared, Jared is, is, is a player that is never going to wow you with flash and dash. But what he is going to be able to do is be a really effective player in a lot of different areas. Move the puck, defend, 
you know, not give up space, you know, and as he gets, again, back to strength and he gets more mature, he's going to be sturdier and firmer in those areas. But he's, and, and one other thing about Jared, I may have said this to you previously, mm-hmm. I've watched Jared play a lot. The more important the game, the more critical the situation, Jared has always got his level of play to that point. Wow. Well, I mean, he was impressive. I know the Red Wings, if he didn't get hurt uh, uh, in training camp, I, I thought that he, much like, and I'm going to ask you about him next, Joe Valeno, but uh, uh, I think he would have, you know, played some games up here in Detroit during the preseason. I mean, he, uh, you know, the Red Wings were ecstatic. I think they were surprised that he fell to them in the second round, but uh, I don't think uh, Ken Holland and Tyler Wright couldn't get up there fast enough when they... Uh, uh, when they wanted to, or, or when they announced from the table, I mean, they, I mean, let's put it this way: the way the Red Wings drafted this year, there was no hesitation virtually on any pick. I mean, they had it down, and boom! I mean, they were they were ready to make that pick, and uh, I think they felt that their first four picks, along with Jonathan Bergen, who's uh, uh, hurt right now, the Swedish kid, they thought their first their first four picks were first round picks. All could have gone in the first round. Well, and, and I believe, if I have it correct, they were all picked in the first thirty six. Right. Think, uh, exactly. Uh, right. So when you see that's preparation. So when you when you know what you're looking for, and, and and you clearly say this is what we want to see in a player, and this is what we're looking for, and now you evaluate it and you say, okay, these guys have it, and we rate them and we rank them, and now when, when you have that process in order, now you just sit down and you watch how the draft unfolds. You go, bang, that's our guy. Bang, that's our guy. Bang, that's our guy. So that speaks to the preparation of the Detroit Red Wings, uh, you know, the uh, scouting department and led by Ted Holland, who's got a long history of highly successful uh, drafts as, as a chief scout and as a scout. So that's running really efficiently. And, and, and that's where you can start to talk about, you know, how quickly they get up to draft the player because they know what they want and they know who they want. And that becomes critical in terms of having that confidence. And whether it be Jared, and, 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 you know, one of the things that I think the Red Wings have always done under Kenny Holland exceptionally well, they never, ever, in my view, and I, I know talking to different people at different times over the years, they never, ever said, we think this player is going to be like an all-star defenseman. They said, no, we think he's going to be a really good top four defenseman, second pair defenseman. Or we think he's going to be a really good third-line center. Like they have a really good reality of what they think a player can be mm-hmm. and how they're going to help them be that. I think that's essential, too. Know what you're getting, and don't try to overextend it, because it not only overextends when you start telling people the wrong things to your fans, it also puts immense pressure on the player to be something perhaps he isn't. So I think the Red Wings have done an exceptional job under Kenny Holland of always recognizing that. So, you know, when you when you start to look at Jared McIsaac and, you, you know, you're going to talk about Joe Valeno. So, you know, the best thing for Joe right now is that he is now in his fourth year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He has now become a dominant player. That's what you want to see as players try to move up the levels. And if you can do that, and you can take your level of play up at, at, the, at the level you're at, that's really good. You don't want to be moving up levels before you've mastered the level before you. I use school examples. You know what? You want to go do your master's? You better get your undergraduate. Right. So right now, you know, Joe Valeno, is, is like he, he's working on his undergraduate and junior. 
you know what? Just start some master's classes here at the World Junior and, and try to get to that, to try to get comfortable there. And as he moves into the NHL, minor leagues, or if, if that's the case, masters. And then when you get to the NHL, you start working on your PhD, right? That's where he's at. You can't start working on masters till you start understanding the core work of your undergraduate. And to me, that's what Joey's been able to do here in Drummondville. And with it becomes great confidence in your abilities and, and, and how to apply them in the game. I think you're seeing that. I, anybody that's watched Joe Valeno this year in Drummondville has seen a dominant player. Right. I mean, 54 points in 28 games. He's, uh, he's a plus 31. Uh, you know, certainly he's a... Uh, we have a, a blog series here, uh, the Red Wings do, which we call Taking Flight. And there's four prospects, Joe Hicketts, Giovanni Smith, uh, Joe Valeno, and Jack Adams, uh, all at different stages in their career. And, you know, just I've gotten to know Joe fairly well uh, since he began this blog series. And he just seemed, he seems to really have everything in a proper perspective. And I don't know if it was the exceptional status playing in the Quebec League at 15, which, you know, he at first he was hesitant, but you know he was told, "Look, you know, you got to go. You, 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 you know, you've kind of reached that level, even though you're only 15." But here's a young man that I think uh, uh, is really, really focused, but seems to be pretty balanced as well. I totally agree with you there. And the one area, and and I, and I do at times underestimate this and, and, and pull pull not players go into their draft year and they put pressure on themselves. They put pressure on themselves to perform well. And every year I say this, you know, I, I, I got to recognize that a little bit more. I got to be a little bit more cognizant of it. <laughs> and I think that that was certainly the case. Uh, it certainly looks like that's the same case with Joe Valeno. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to show that you're a top player. You want to show, Hey, listen, you know, so he's an exceptional player. He also knows that other exceptional players by the name of John Tavares and Aaron Ackblad and Connor McDavid were the first overall picks. So now you want to work so that you're into that conversation. And sometimes the harder you work and the more determined you are, you're also working against yourself. And I think in some cases that might have happened with Joe. But at the end of it, he got drafted. He got drafted by a team that, 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 that really regarded him highly and have allowed him now to move to, to, to a stage where he's confident. You talk about the points, and that's great for Joe Valeno. When I watch Joe Valeno now, he's a difference maker in the game. And he's a difference maker in so many different areas. And not just scoring points. I mean, obviously that's a big thing. That's a big part of his game. But when he's out on the ice, you're going, that's a dangerous player. And you better have him marked or he's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, you know, you know, talking to him, what's really interesting is, is that I really think, you know, he told me, he said, you know, was I worried about falling down in the draft? He goes, you know, as I was falling, I, I, he goes, I wasn't concerned. I knew I was a number one pick. I was drafted in the first round. I was drafted by a team that has a long, uh, you know, history and tradition, an original six team. And I'm getting the feeling that now that he's drafted, it's... He's fine, you know, he's in a good place and he's just going to become a professional hockey player. I mean, he seems to be, as I said, I know I keep, I'm being a little bit redundant here, but he, he just seems to be in a good place, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and obviously his game is really rounding out very, very well, which is a good sign for the Red Wings. Oh, absolutely it is. And, and, and again, I talk about the Red Wings, you know, and, and I'm going to use a Kenny Holland quote. 
we want to get the players when they're overripe. Now, remember, overripe in the 90s and the 2000s when they had all those great teams is different than overripe now. Overripe might mean, you know what, you're ready at 19 like a Rasmussen or closer to ready. And overripe might mean, hey, Philip Zadina, you got to go play some games in the minors. There's some areas of the game you got to work on, right? You know, Philip Aronek, right? You know what, we know you have ability, but you got to go work on it. That's adjusting too. But again, under Kenny Holland, they put their team, they put their players in positions where they allow them to maximize their potential. That is the key to development. And I think the Red Wings do an exceptional job of that. Really? I mean, you know, obviously, as I said, I mean, I was in Dallas last draft and. You know, I, I think they were a bit stunned that the way the draft worked out for them because, you know, literally out of every pick they had, and I think they had 10 last year because they ended up trading a draft pick uh, to Columbus, uh, I think they looked at her from top to bottom, literally from 1 to 10, and they said, wow, we've got a really good young core that's, you know, going to be joining our organization. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Philip Zadina. In his first 26 games in, uh, in the, uh, with the Grand Rapids Griffins, 8 goals, 9 assists, 17 points. Uh, yeah, I, I always say this. The thing, and Craig, I know we talked a lot about him because last year when we previewed the 2018 draft, uh, there wasn't a snowball's chance in, you know, Hades that he was going to, you know, fall to the Red Wings or so we thought, but I, I still wanted to talk a little bit about him. But I just think that he's 18, he's playing in a man's league, obviously. Uh, he's going to be on the Czech Republic's World Junior Team. He left today, actually, to join them on Thursday, uh, and on the 20th of December. And I just, I'm just impressed with him. His shot is just incredible. I joke around with some of the Red Wings, saying he has the best shot on the wings, and he's not even on the team. Uh, but uh, what do you think about Zadina in his transition into the professional game? I mean, when you look at what he's done, and, and, and so it's always a, uh, a, a dilemma. You know, okay, you're going to go, is he ready for the NHL? Maybe not. Okay, so now the American Arcade. I really believe, Art, that in so many instances, in fact, in the vast majority of instances, if you can't play in the NHL at 19, it's harder to play in the American Hockey League in, in, in a lot of cases. You know, the... There's not as many skilled players at that level. There's players that are at different stages trying to find their way to the NHL. And, you know, everything that's gone with it, we're a high pick that isn't getting a chance. And so that whole element of what you're dealing with in the minors comes into play. Whereas in the NHL, it's like, okay, we're getting ready to play. You've got good players here. Here's where it's all at. Right. You know, people are, for the most part, the players are comfortable. So it becomes challenging for, for younger players. Now, Phillip's a very mature young man. So, again, there's always exceptions to the rule. And, you know, considering how Detroit runs their farm team and, you know, how, how it runs in Grand Rapids, they have a really close, uh, you know, proximity and a handle on it. So I think that works. But Phillip was a dominant player in junior hockey. And I think that when you looked at him, going back to junior hockey, it wasn't really the right move. Uh, in terms of his development. And then you start to look at the player and the person, and you go, can he handle some of these challenges if he's not in the NHL? I think the answer is clearly yes, with the understanding, okay, he's here, we can send him back to the World Junior Team, he can get a really good three-week experience in that area, which really helps him you know, become a dominant player in his age group. And then we can see where he's at coming back from there, and maybe he's closer to being ready for the NHL, because... Just because you're not ready on, in October when the season begins doesn't mean as you go through this process 
that coming back at some point in January or February, that now that that hasn't prepared you to come to the NHL. Again, we go back to society. Everybody wants to be somewhere yesterday. Well, it just doesn't work that way. It's, people sometimes are just not ready for the next challenge, and you have to be uh, cognizant of that and understand that this is where this player is at. This is our plan for him. And sometimes it's hard for the player. Oh, geez, why am I not in the NHL? I'm not saying, and, and the communication, the direction he gets, the tutelage he gets, you know, everything that's going on in, in Phillips and Dean and other players' world becomes incredibly important as you try to help that player ultimately get to where you see him getting to and where he wants to get to. Well, you know, I, yeah, I, I, you know, he's he's starting to put up some more numbers here in his last uh, uh, seven games. I think he has five points, a goal, and uh, in six assists. So it's starting to come together, and and I'm sure that the Red Wings are really looking forward to seeing after the World Junior Championship uh, where he will, uh, uh, how he will uh, mature, uh, because obviously. I've talked to him. I've gone down to Grand Rapids and watched him play, and, and you're absolutely right. He's very mature. He's not sulking that he isn't on the Red Wings or, or anything like that. He understands the task at hand, and he's very focused on getting it done. Um, I want to um, ask you a little bit about Michael Rasmussen. Just because there was talk, would they send him back to Tri-City, uh, the Red Wings? Would they make him available to Team Canada? You know, my feeling has always been when they look at their roster and what Rasmussen brings, not only size and you know when we first talked about Michael before the Red Wings drafted him a couple of years ago when we were previewing the 2017 draft Craig I remember you just saying his net front presence for a guy his size is is extraordinary and I just think what he adds to the power play whether he's getting point points or not or being out in front of the net is just something that the Red Wings want him to cultivate at this level I don't think they want him to go anywhere uh, they're not concerned with points. They just want his. They just want him to get the experience, and they think that he can handle it. And he is definitely emotionally mature at 19 uh, to do it. Uh, so, are you surprised that he is stuck with the Red Wings, or did you see possibly juniors, or at least going to the uh, World Junior Championships? Because I know your colleague Bob McKenzie keeps bringing it up a lot, but it certainly seems like he's not going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. In fact, I'll be flat-out shocked if he goes anywhere. So that being said, you know, again, so, so you start off. You, you know what, Michael, you drafted him. And, and then, listen, what he did last year in, in the Western Hockey League at Tri-City, and more specifically, what he did in the playoffs, we're, we're talking complete and utter domination. That's what it was for Michael Rasmussen. So... Now he, he goes through the summer, he gets to camp, and now he starts to exhibit that capability of holding his own at the National League level to do things that you feel that are going to really help his development. And, and, and you watch him, and you touched on something, I think, the, the, the emotional maturity. So he understands what he's trying to do. He is a very mature young man for his age. He, we, we say mature beyond his years, and I think Michael is that. But, but he's also... Again, I talked about mastering your level before. Michael was a dominant player in the Western Hockey League. And so now you bring him in, you put him into a spot where he can handle things and you think he can handle things, and he shows that he can. So why do you want to – you don't have to make decisions in De uh, for December in October. You can continue to watch. You can continue to monitor. Okay, oh, it's become a little bit overwhelming for him. What can we do? Do we need to take him out of the lineup? Oh, do we need to send him back to the minors or, or the junior, excuse me? Or 
would he benefit from the World Junior Tournament? So you're using all these all these timelines along the path to, to, to assess. And then you reach a point, you go, okay, here we are, it's middle of December. Would he, nope, he's on our team. We don't need him to go to the World Junior. We don't think that'll help. So he stayed. And so October to me, you, you, you shouldn't be making decisions uh, about December and October. Let's see how it unfolds because it's new for them. It's new for the player. It's new for the team. The challenges are all new. And, and again, we talk about the, the mental and the emotional part of things. Everything's new. You're playing against players you've never played against. You're playing against the best players in the world. You're playing against players that have eight and nine and ten years under their belt right. that are really accomplished. So how do how does the player adjust? You don't even, you don't have any clue. You, you you want to see how it unfolds. You believe it can unfold in a positive way. But you have no idea how that player is going to adjust at those different touch points and how he's going to adapt. And that becomes critical in evaluating over the timeline. Don't make decisions for December back in October. And again, the, the Red Wings weren't going to do that. Michael Rasmussen's not going. I mean, barring something you know, like that, that, that has come completely out of uh, out of left field or off that Mars uh, Explorer, then <laughs> Michael Rasmussen is not playing at the World Junior Hockey Championships this year. Right. Uh, I uh, you know we're unfortunately we're kind of running out of time. Let's go back to the World Juniors. I I know the semifinals are the final four. You have Team USA, Team Canada, Team Russia, and either. Uh, uh, team Czech Republic or Team Sweden uh, as the fourth uh, member, how, uh, depending on how it plays out. Uh, in the end, a lot of pressure, obviously, on Team Canada playing in Canada. Uh, but how do you see it kind of shaken out? Do you think that uh, 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 that you know could we have? And I know you said it. Uh, are are you hoping or are you convinced that maybe we see a gold medal final between the Americans and the Canadians? Well, you always hope for that. I think that that's a real good scenario. Uh, you know, when I the, the two areas I look at in, in terms of the teams, and, and really, I, I think it comes down to Canada, Russia, and, and the USA. Uh, I talked the. I believe that the the New Year's Eve game between Canada and Russia very well could be a preview of the gold medal game. Now that being said. One of those teams, in my view, is going to have to play the U.S. in the semifinal and beat them, whether that be Russia or whether that be Canada. And so, to me, here's the question. Russia, goaltending. Is your goaltending going to be good enough? For the U.S., are they going to have enough depth? And when I talk about depth, I'm not talking about scoring. I'm not talking, I'm talking about to, to win the gold medal, you've got to play seven games in ten days. Are they going to have the depth throughout the deeper part of their lineup, defense and forward, to be able to really apply pressure, create chances, create opportunities, and really push back opponents as the tournament goes on? That's a question mark for me. You know, make no mistake about this. Not having Brady Kachuk is a massive, massive hole in their lineup. Yeah. He is a significant catalyst in so many different ways. And so, can they overcome it? Yeah, they can, but that's my question right there. And and for Canada, my biggest question for Canada is, they, they have, it's a question that always occurs for them and something they have to work through. To me, this year seems that they have a lot of players that are going to be asked to play different positions. We're talking about Joe Valeno, left wing. Morgan Frost playing the left wing. Centerman playing out of position. And it's not just 
are you willing to play on a position? Are you capable of carrying the responsibilities of playing that position that are going to enhance your team's chances? I think it's a big question mark for Team Canada. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Craig Button, sc scouting director of TSN. Craig, thank you so much. You, you, you know, whenever I call, you're always there for me and, and for the Red and White Authority. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've been buddies a long time. I, I still remember running into you at Michigan football games up there in the press box. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, thanks, and we'll have you on very, very soon again. And I do appreciate your time, Craig. Thank you. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. All the best to you today and, and every day. And it's always my pleasure to join you, Art. You can always count on me. Great. Thank you very much, Craig. Really appreciate it.